Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy. And I'm here in a virtual room, thanks to Zoom, with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. And Benjamin Schwartz, our producer, is also on the line. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on April 18th, 2020. And Ronaldo, let's jump right in. Let's hear what you've got to say today in this uh, strange world we all inhabit. Wow. Strange is probably one of the friendliest terms you could apply. Uh, (laughs) I think there's a huge amount of psychological damage going on around the country, and it's increasingly getting clear. There was a great story, by the way, in this morning's New York Times about how uh, pollsters are so used to getting people slamming the phone on them and telling them, please don't call that they're experiencing a brand new phenomenon. They can't get off the phone. People are so lonely. <laughs> they're talking to like Pew Research and, and, and it's all they can do to just like, cause they want to have somebody to talk to. And they say that. And so um, they're getting a 25% higher efficiency, meaning more connections of people they try to call because they're not getting hung up on. And uh, they're getting a, a much fuller uh, than they chose story back. And that just indicates the degree of psychological tension in society, which is understandable. And I think it's probably greater in the U.S. than in any other developed industrial nation because we don't have a comprehensive health care scheme. And obviously the one we have isn't working. And obviously we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, and they do in Germany. And they do, they're beginning to see light at the end of the tunnel in France, actually. Um, Spain, I'm not as, not as convinced about yet. I think Italy's starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I want to start with one sort of like a good thought. And then I'm going to return to this thought at the end of the show. And the good thought is from a guy named Ray Dalio, who many of you know who listen to this show. I have tremendous respect for Ray Dalio. I think he's probably the smartest investor on Wall Street, and I'm including Warren Buffett in that analysis. I think he's better than Buffett. And I've said so on this program before. And what Dalio said is economic recovery, when it happens, must include the lessening of wealth gap between the rich and the poor. In so many words, he's saying the economic inequality that has been exasperated by COVID-19 outbreak is forcing us to look at the fundamentals. So clearly, we're going to be looking at a whole new way of doing healthcare in this country, which is our largest single industry, by the way. Number two, we're going to be looking at how can we rebuild the society so that these incredible inequalities don't become worse. And by the way, there's a good possibility they will. And he's also looking at a third thing, which is that we, we, when we come out of this kind of isolation, we have to be willing to look creatively at all of our political and economic institutions. Yeah, and I think that this is so important to keep our minds around because if we go back, going back to like the the, the business as usual is not necessarily, well, first of all, it's not going to happen, right? And it's it's also not something to even aspire to because business as usual was not working very well for most people in this country. Not if you assume that 2% of the public controlled about 70% of the assets. I would say on that definition, yeah. it's not working so good. And I think you could say that people, I would say that probably 45% of the American public was literally living paycheck to paycheck with the total savings in less than $10,000. And now, you know, millions and millions of those people aren't even getting a paycheck. Right. So. And, 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 and some are and some aren't. And, and so let's take a look at where we are today. So let's start with obviously the most traumatic thing that happened this week was 22 and a half million uh, people are unemployed. And that's not the end of it. It's going to go up some more. Uh, I've said, I think, on the last show that um, of the 25 or 30 percent of the retail economy that's gone away, 
and it's at least that at this point, probably larger. I'm going to say at least 15 to 25% is going to be gone permanently. That's an incredible statement. Nothing like that happened in the Great Depression. Oh, by the way, 22 and a half million people didn't get fired in four weeks in the Great Depression uh, or lose their jobs. So we're talking about a massive reset. Not only are we all quarantined in our own houses and practicing safe distance, and some of us, like the states of California, which has a very, very low uh, death per capita, I mean, one of the lowest in America, um, much more like what you would see in a European country because the state of California exercised early on all the measures that we find chafing, uh, the, the, this distancing, this social distancing, the staying at home, this you know, wearing masks, you know, being very concerned about spreading infection. Because of that, California is doing extraordinarily well. If you look at the statistics, and if anybody wants to see them, um, w- w- there's a couple of very good places to, to get those statistics. I, the one I happen to like a lot, um, let me see if I can find it real quick for you while I'm talking, uh, is called... Um, well, the one I was looking at, Ronaldo, is worldometers.info. Yeah, that's a, I think that S- is one of the best. Slash coronavirus. Yes, I think that's one of the very best. And, and I, the reason is it's, it gives you the death per 100,000 statistic, which gives you- Per a million. Way, deaths per million of per the million. population. And it gives you the ability, therefore, to compare a single state or a single country against all other states and other countries. I think that's really helpful because it, that's the ultimate yardstick, right? How many people are you killing in your population- because you're not being careful enough. And what we've learned is if you don't get careful up front, Italy, you have a heck of a problem. We've also learned now from Singapore, if you open up prematurely and you don't think it through, you could have a big spike. They just had another 925 cases out of the clear blue because they forgot that if they put people back in dormitories too soon, one person can affect hundreds more. By the way, a very encouraging number that came out of New York yesterday at a Cuomo's conference, which I find the Cuomo conference is extremely helpful. Yesterday, he did a, uh, this morning, actually, he did a really good explanation of what are the reagents uh, that we need in order to be able to make test kits, and why don't we have enough of them, and, and, and why do we have so many different kinds of test kits, and, 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 and it's like 30 different companies are selling test kits in, in, in New York State alone, and each one has its own technology, each one has its own cotton swabs, each one has its own reagents, and of course, guess where most of the reagents are made? You guessed it. China. China. (laughs) So the bottom line is that Singapore learned by opening too fast, it created another wave. So it's clamped down again. It's clamping down again. And it will get it right. Germany is trying to do something very sophisticated. What they're doing is letting very small retail stores open. So small that I think you have to have less than 10 employees or five even. Maybe less than five. Some number. I forget. the. It's it's not on top of my mind right now. But the reason they're doing that is the theory is if there's only a couple people in the store serving people, the owners ostensibly, and maybe one or two employees, they can be, they'll be very careful because it's their lives at stake. They'll be very careful about observing safe distancing with their customers. They'll be extremely careful about masks, gloves, etc. And if you do that, if you open up that small store, it's easier to maintain safety from transmission. Well, one example is one of the, one of the places I've been relying on lately is the small grocery store, which is up the street from me, and it's a it's a locally owned grocery. We know them well, and they have just a few people who work there. They only let five customers in at a time, and you must wear a mask. You know, everybody who goes into the store has to be wearing a mask. But that kind of like control. It's somebody that everybody yeah. knows. The, the community knows them. And it's it's yeah. a whole different way of uh, doing retail. And I think that you'll probably see places like Tri-County Produce in Santa Barbara, which is basically doing, you know, direct from the farms to you. 
So you're getting fewer middlemen, although you're still getting all the farmhands who care, quite likely are carrying coronavirus. So you still can't trust the produce you get there to be completely clean. So you take it home and you sanitize it. And there's different ways to sanitize everything coming into your house. There's no reason to not sanitize everything, including your boxes, your mail, everything. and Your money. Your money. <laughs> and we have techniques for doing that. Um, did I talk about that last week? About the... You, no, you didn't talk on this show about that, but it was I was feeling very enlightened when you were telling me about it earlier this, this morning. <laughs> okay, so one of the things I do, for example, all mail that comes in here, including magazines, and um, I just uh, sterilized the Montecito Journal I picked up this morning. And how do you do that when it's a newspaper? You put it in an oven at 175 degrees. If you have a toaster oven, you can use less energy. And you leave it in there depending on how thick what you're doing is. So if you've got four inches thick of mail, which I had yesterday, then you got to leave it in for an hour, an hour and a half, because you've got to get the temperature to the middle of the middle page up to 135 degrees Fahrenheit or more. That's the point at which coronavirus dies. So you, if you put it in the oven and it's a single envelope, it's out in five minutes. You just got to have it long enough that it's penetrating to the inside of the envelope where somebody touched that piece of paper, conceivably, that does have coronavirus. When you do that, coronavirus can't get to you. This morning, we picked up muffins made by Pierre Lafont picked by a person out of a glass case who was wearing gloves and a mask, got the thing home in a bag, put it in my oven. I preheated to 175 degrees. Didn't change the flavor of the muffin at all. Only left it in for five minutes and pulled it out. And by the way, that was six muffins because I'm freezing five. Lala and Carol like these muffins. So that's why I did it. Anyway, but the point is you can, you can sterilize everything and should if you're vulnerable. We are vulnerable in, in our household. Uh, one of us has a severely compromised immune system. Um, one of us is a lifelong asthmatic. We're both in our seventies. Uh, there, actually there's three of us living here, all three of us in our seventies. Uh, so we're, we're, we're really being hyper vigilant. And I think people should be until we get this thing under control. We're going to talk about what under control looks like in subsequent shows, but let's do some quick, um, statistics. So if you were to look at April 22nd, for example, in 2019, uh, what you would find is that the Dow Jones since then has gone down 8.6%. The S&P down by one, but oil's down by 72%. In the same year, gold is up by 32%. So as we kept telling people, get out of the market. You won't lose money. You'll be going sideways with peace of mind every night, sleeping well, knowing you're not going to go out of business and your 401k is intact. If you didn't, if you had stayed in the market, you've already had one roller coaster ride where 25 to 28% of your wealth was wiped out. And now you're getting all of it but 8.5% back. That if that sounds like a good idea, it's not. I have a friend, won't mention who, who listens to this show constantly and despite my repeated warnings, got into the bond market until he called me yesterday to say, oh my God, now I get why you told me not to have bonds. Well, that so that's you're talking about the bond market as opposed to the stock market, which has also right. been a scary, that's a right. scary yeah, we situation. T- on this program, I've told people, don't go in the bond market or the stock market. Because a change in the interest rates can destroy the value of a bond quicker than anything else and in bigger dollars than the interest rate. And what what this individual did is he bought into a bond fund, which a lot of people did when they got out of the stock market. I told him, don't do that. That's that's normal thinking, not this kind of thinking. We're in an abnormal place, so we got to do abnormal thinking. And the bond market's not safe. Why? Because you can't control the interest rate variations and fluctuations, nor can you control the amount of credit. And as you do that, you're going to find that it's going to be impossible to have stable, predictable bond prices. I'll tell you when you can go back into bonds. It ain't now. And you certainly can't go into stocks right now because this negative 8% in the last year is just the beginning. 
It's coming down some more. In fact, I would argue the market was overpriced by more than 8% if there had been no coronavirus. So with coronavirus, it's much more so. But clearly, 22.5 million people getting unemployed is the big story. Just to finish the last little uh, talk about the markets and gold, what about just holding cash? Is that is that a problem right well, now, Ronaldo? I, I don't recommend it for a couple of reasons. First of all, if you have cash, great. And if you have it because you need access to instant liquidity, fine. But if you've got cash and you have enough to live on, then you should be investing it in something that's going to make money for you. And that would be gold. It's the safest thing to buy. So just go out and buy a gold ETF. And maybe um, we could send out a link at, uh, yeah, at the, at the end of the show. Yeah, we can include a link. Yeah, to, we'll get, include a link with yeah. the show notes for yeah, this. And, yeah. and give them both the State Street Fund and the other ones. So they can choose what they want. And remember, we covered uh, Benjamin uh, was pulled out for us the respective percentage uh, fees. They were both very low. The ones that two I recommended were very low uh, charges associated with them. So you can do that and don't put all your cash in there. But, you know, if, if, if your savings is in stock or cash right now, you're not in a good place. And here's why. Have you looked at the value of the U.S. dollar? Very, very high. Okay. The flood to safety has sent people into the U.S. dollar in amazing ways. Now, that's OK in one sense, but it's not OK in another. It gives us enormous increased buying power, and it makes it possible for the federal government to keep writing his money, making the deficit as big as it wants because it's funding its own deficit, in effect. It's just a bunch of digits chasing each other. It's not real. It's not, there's no paper being printed like that. Okay. Now, therefore, if you, if you need, say, operating cash, and most people are using less cash right now, um, and you want to go hit your ATM, they're not going out of business. And so if you've got a few thousand dollars, and I shouldn't even need more than that, you certainly don't need much more than that in cash or the ability to get it out of your ATM. Put the rest in an ETF and go to sleep at night knowing that as things get worse, your gold will get more valuable, unfortunately. Not that I want him to get worse. I really don't. You know, I got into gold at 1150. It's up to 1688. I, yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I could be like looking at this like, oh, my God, what's, how much money I made. I'm not. I just assume not make money this way. I'd like to make it the old fashioned way in a business that sells products to people who can go out and buy them and enjoy them while they're talking to their buddies or girlfriends in a bar. That's what I want to do. But we're not there. And anybody who thinks we're there is just crazy. So I think that the and there's a series of articles, which I also would like you to send out a link to, um, uh, uh, if you would, Christy or Benj. I, I've done this. Uh, it's a four-part series. I've just published the uh, the, the second one. Uh, the, I know. I guess I uh, first one's been published in the Montecito Journal, uh, which is called um, "The New Fe- A New Federalism Awaits Us uh, in a Post-COVID-19 America," and that one's been published. The second one's already been sent to the publisher. The third one I'm going to be writing on Sunday or Monday, and that'll go off the following week. And then the fourth one will complete. And the reason I'm suggesting the new federalism, because it's clear, this is where our conversation has to go today, we are locked in a very, very bad situation. We have a dysfunctional government. Not only is the federal government dysfunctional, everybody knows that, that's that's a foregone conclusion. What's also even more scary is that the breakdown of the relationship between the states and the federal government is becoming increasingly dysfunctional. And that's a problem, because as Cuomo has correctly said, there's certain things states can do and can't do. And right now, you've got a, this week alone, uh, Trump actively tweeted to his followers, liberate Michigan, liberate Wisconsin, sending them to the steps, of the, by the way, with their AK-47s they went, with all their pro-Trump signs, and make America great MAGA hats, 
And I think he's killing his own voters. But, but, but the point is, that is a form of insurrection. He is actually telling people to rise up against their local state governors and governments to support him. That's a dangerous thought pattern, which I think he's just beginning. And, and the an additional thing is, in the same week, he threatened to basically disband Congress. The same week. Okay, so you got to begin to worry about what I've said on the show a number of times. Is there going to be an election in 2020? I'm not so sure. We'll talk a little bit later if there is or isn't, but that's a question. And I just think it's too important not to focus on that just happened this week. No, and, and I mean that, and not only that, but he's in, actually inciting violence Maybe not directly. He's he, everybody around him in the republic. I heard Mike Dewine being interviewed today, and he would not condemn Trump's tweeting of this "liberate yourself" and then calling on the Second Amendment in the in, in relation to the Repub- the um, getting out there in Virginia. Yeah, the you know, supporting- Yeah, in the Commonwealth Virginia, in his tweet, not only did he say "liberate Virginia," he went on to say, Set, "protect your Second Amendment rights." They're at risk. As if that's what is at issue right now. That's yeah. that's not even anywhere at issue. No, so, so let's go to the conclusion to this. And the conclusion is very simply this. In a dysfunctional situation where the federal government and the state governments are, this federalism is broken down really badly, it is absolutely essential that we have a coordinated response to a tragedy this large. And the failure to have one is causing two things. One, the death count keeps going up. Watch 40,000 is the next number you're going to see because we're way past 33,000 right now. Number two, it's going to be impossible to avoid further economic destruction. So here's my, if you remember one sentence from today's podcast, here it is. We're still in free fall. I'm really good at looking at things in the future. That's what I do. And I'm not saying that to make myself feel good or to pat myself on the back. It's to say to you, when someone like me cannot see the bottom yet, it's not visible. I don't think anybody can see the bottom yet. And the reason you can't see the bottom is I can't see what else the federal government's going to do to keep screwing this thing up. But clearly, they're going to keep doing it. They're not invoking the, uh, the Production Act from the Korean War. So, so we don't have people making reagents so that we can properly staff tests. We have enough machines, for example, in New York, they could more than double the amount of tests they're giving. New York is doing more tests per 100,000 than any country in the world right now. And they can't ramp it up to where they need it to go because they can't get reagents because they have 30 suppliers of 30 different tests. And if they can't do testing and do comprehensive testing, that really, then there's no way we can really open up this economy and expect it not to go off the rails. No, and, and, and you see that, and that's what happened with Singapore. Now, Singapore's going to learn. They're smart. So they're going to learn from that mistake, and they're going to keep opening it more carefully. I think Germany is going to be an interesting bellwether. I think they know how to open it up much more carefully. I think the French are starting to experiment with some things I'm a little scared of, but looks like it's working, which is basically tracker tracing using cell phones. But even with all of that, without a comprehensive testing regime, which would include not only DNA, RNA testing for the presence of the virus, but also um, the testing for any antibodies for people who have had the virus. Serological tests. Yeah. Right now, now on a global basis, it looks like about 6% of the people who get this disease uh, die. We, they originally thought it was going to be 1% or 2%. Now, I think that's a bad number. I think it's way too high, and I'll tell you why. I don't think they're catching anywhere near the number of people who have this disease. And here's how I can tell. In Columbia University Medical last week, by accident, they discovered something that's really powerful. In the OBGYN units, 
where women came in to routinely have babies. So women presenting themselves for birth unrelated to COVID-19. Got it? 18% of them were positive for COVID-19. And only two of them had any symptoms at all. 17 had no symptoms whatsoever. So asymptomatic. And that's what taught Columbia. Oh, my goodness. We weren't even wearing PPE because we thought we were in the OBGYN ward. Turns out that's dangerous, too. Isn't that interesting statistic? No, it's crazy. And I think that that's what, that's what they're finding, like in Iceland, who they've done a, a massive uh, co- uh, comprehensive testing. And they're finding that up to 50% of everybody who is testing positive has zero symptoms. So most of the people who actually have this disease have no symptoms, and there's no reason for them to think that they would be sick because they're just carrying it if they're silent carriers at the moment, at least. Maybe they will eventually develop symptoms. Maybe they'll just have such a mild case it won't ever hit them. But just because they have no symptoms does not mean that they're not able to spread it. In fact... So, and let me go back now to that statistic of 18%, which is a really interesting random statistic. Because if that's reflective of the population in general, which I suspect it is. Now, there's going to be a statistical variation because women giving birth as a subset are younger on average than the general population. So there's a, there's a little bit of a swerve there, but that's something we can deal with. If I take that same 18% calculation, I say 18% of the people in California have this thing and don't know it or didn't know it when they were tested. That means that 7.2 million people are ready to go back to work soon. So can you put California's economy back to work with 7.2 million? You bet you can. If you do it with the program we've suggested, with the memo I wrote to Governor Newsom, came out of a talk I gave on March 16th, and I think I wrote it on April 6th. And I would urge people to put a link on to that as well, Christy. Uh, basically, what we're ar- arguing there is that we build a system to go back to work one antibody present person at a time. Now, there is a que- there are questions, all kinds of questions. Number one, how soon can we get really reliable antibody testing? It turns out Michigan says they're getting a 90 to 95% accuracy, which is higher than any vaccine we'll ever get. Number two, we're now testing for how much immunity somebody has to have. We're starting to test for um, how long the immunity can last. And we're testing for, will it perform like other viruses, where once you have the immunity, you're good for one to two years, which is what Fauci currently estimates. If you are good for one to two years, that means that you can retest every year. And in our memo, we suggest to the Governor Newsom that he do that through the Department of Motor Vehicles so he keeps the hospitals open to continue treating the pandemic. Um, okay, I, I wanted to put that out there. It's, it's the Newsom memorandum. I think you should look at it. I think you should also look at the fact that the White House, when it reached out to business leaders, um, including Cisco Systems, McDonald's, AFLCO was there, and said, okay, um, uh, and by the way, Pfizer, who's one of the most important companies in the big pharma world, received one hour notice of the meeting. Just No, some of, the, Ronaldo, some of them didn't receive any notice. I understand. But just how chaotic. They, they were just, they found out about it because the president was saying they're on this committee when they're like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So what happened is he called them thinking the business community will surely support me in reopening America. And they said, you can't until you fix the pandemic testing. without massive testing. Not without testing. And and so, and the testing has got to be of at least two types. One, the RNA DNA testing, which tells you the presence of the virus, and the antibody testing that tells you it's been here and gone. You got to have both if you're going to be able to track this thing down. And then, I, I heard um, I, I heard that uh, Trump said we're going to need a, uh, an army of people to do tracing, and he said, you know, we we will need hundreds of people. No, actually, I think you're going to need a million people, certainly several hundred thousand, to do the tracing. We're going to have to do nationwide, 
and it doesn't do any good without testing. So without testing, you can't do tracking and tracing. If you don't do tracking and tracing, you can't stop the pandemic. Now, I started talking earlier about a really great statistic Cuomo gave, which again, I think the Cuomo, um, that press conference he does every day is really valuable. And, and he talked about reagents and some of these. Okay, here's a CAC actual number he threw out today. They were at 1.4% was the rate of spread of infection, 1.4. So uh, 1.4, actually not percent, 1.4 times. Meaning every person who had it was infecting four-tenths of one other person plus. So if I had it, that would mean I'd be infecting you, Christy, you're the one, and four-tenths of Benjamin, okay? They got it down to 0.9. When you get to 0.9, you're at the beginning of extinguishing the virus because it means that you're transmitting it to less than one other person. So mm -hmm. the curve down not only starts to bend, but you're going to start getting release. So what you don't want to do is, well, the way we work to get that curve down, you don't want to pop that thing open, top, you know, pop the lid. So we're going to have to do some combination of what Germany's experimenting with, what France is experimenting with possibly, and clearly what I'm hoping Newsom will experiment with, which is a health identity card, which will let you go back to work or to your favorite bar as soon as you want. So take a look at that, and I hope everybody will find that useful. I, um, I think there's some other things we could really talk about, but I, I want to just talk a little bit about why it's not going to be a new normal. In other words, why is it that coming out of this, it's not going to be, uh, okay, that we survived that, and we got a vaccine, everything's fine. Can't possibly be. And I started this show by quoting Dalio. Because what Dalio and every sophisticated business person I talk to, and I do talk to some very sophisticated business people, get the fact, and it's a central fact, it's not a wish, it's not a hope, it's not a maybe. The fact is, if you don't deal with the pandemic first, the health issue, you cannot reopen the economy successfully. You only slam yourself back on the mat harder. And um, we sort of did that in January, if you think about it, because our country was warned in late December this was coming. And I saw that uh, in, I guess it was the first week of January, the CIA and the intelligence committees, the intelligence services told Trump, hey, this is going to be a pandemic. It's going to be crazy. Of course, Bill Gates has been talking about this coming for five years now, and he's right. And he picked, on, he picked on climate change as the reason it probably would be spreading as bad. But I think in this case, it's most likely related to the live, meat, the live markets in, in China uh, more than it is to climate change. But clearly others are coming. And, and my point of this is, if we knew since the first week of January for sure, because our security services knew, and we, some of us, me included, knew in the third week of December because we were reading reports coming out of China, and we further knew that by the third week of January, the president's own advisor, Peter Navarro, wrote two memos telling him it was coming. Yeah, he was saying, hey, this is really serious. Gonna we got to deal, deal with this. Okay, so when you talk that way and you think that way and you still open the gates, and, and, and he's doing it now with incentivizing people in, in his, his, his group, I think he's decided the way to re-election is to further polarize the nation, whip his people up to a frenzy, and then maybe cancel the election. And whether he cancels the election or not, at least he's whipping his people to a frenzy to get him to the polls at a time when it may not be safe to go vote. Look at what happened in Wisconsin. And by the way, look at the result in Wisconsin. Did I talk about that last week? I hope I did. No, we didn't talk about that. Let but it's really, in, it's really indicative of where the mood of the country okay, is so right now. So the Republican legislature tried to force people to go to the polls because they were trying to get a woman judge to not get elected. And they wanted to get this guy reelected who was on their state Supreme Court. And what happened was... People stood in long lines, risked their lives in order to vote, and said so, even Republicans. 
And, and what's amazing is it backfired. The Democrat won. Now, I don't know if it's going to backfire on a national level. Again, I don't know if we even have an election at the national level. But it's important to note that what's coming now, what comes next, until we're out of the free fall, which I referred to a moment ago, which we are not yet, and until we get the pandemic under some form of beginning of a control nationwide, not just, not just New York, we are going to have a situation where we can't rebuild the economy. Now, let's just touch quickly and quit on this note. I'm extremely excited that part of the breakdown in the federalism, which I talked about earlier in the show, is being addressed creatively by the governors. So you've got the Western Association, which is uh, California, Washington, Oregon, and it's no secret Newsom's been asking every other Western governor to join him. You've got uh, the Northeastern, which is the first one that formed under Cuomo, and that is uh, Connecticut, Delaware, Massachusetts, of course, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Rhode Island. And then just this week, the Midwestern PAC formed with Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Minnesota, Ohio, and Wisconsin. What's fascinating about that, and we're going to talk about it next week, because it's the subject of my series, the new federalism, we're going to talk about how those compacts, which they're called, state compacts, were actually how we ran the country when the 13 colonies were still in charge. And we'll talk about that. It'll be a fun conversation. And with that, if we've got time for one more question, if anything, did we do all the questions um, that we got last week? Have we done our duty getting back to everybody or not? Yeah, I think I think we're pretty we're pretty up to date there at this moment. I mean, I welcome anybody to write in if you have any comments or questions or cu- things you're curious about you want us to address on our next week's taping. That would be great. Just write to us at info at worldbusiness.org. We are a nonprofit organization trying to keep the lights on while we're doing this. So I, I hope people will consider either becoming a member of the Academy or supporting us in some way. I'm just going to sh- send that out there. Great. And, and I also, uh, Optimist Daily, I want to put a plug in because in these dark times, nothing cheers me up like opening up Optimist Daily. So if you haven't yet gotten a free subscription, please do. And if you have, please consider becoming an emissary for $5 a month so we can keep spreading the word. Um, we have tens of thousands of readers. I want to get hundreds of thousands because I want people to see there are solutions, even if we're mired down in yeah. all of these challenges. There are. Actually, Ronaldo, we, we do have, we're touching more than 100,000 people every day through the email channels and the social media channels combined. So yeah. we're, we're, we're getting a lot of people. Yeah, we are. And, 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 and we want more. You know my goal. Mm-hmm. I want to have 100 million people starting their day with a positive thought. And I believe that can make a difference. Uh, on, on every level, politically, economically, sociologically, psychologically. So hopefully uh, people will take advantage of that. And I'm grateful for everybody who's still listening to this podcast. Please tell your friends. As you can see, we're trying to provide you with the best up-to-date information possible. That's why we're doing it every week. Uh, we do it on Saturday because we don't have time during the week to do it. And I want to thank Benjamin and Christy for giving up their Saturday to work on the show and, um, and the lead time that Benjamin does to put stuff together so we can have interesting things to talk about. Can't thank you guys enough, and thank you to our listeners. Great. Ronaldo, thank you so much. This is a great conversation. Appreciate it.